Welcome to a new weekly podcast series called USERF Spotlight, hosted by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, an independent federal advisory body. During each episode, Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, features a special guest to dive deeper on various topics and breaking developments that impact the universal right to freedom of religion or belief around the globe. Welcome to You Serve Spotlight. I'm Dwight Bashir. Today we're going to talk about the enforcement of blasphemy laws globally. In a previous episode, uh, my colleague Elizabeth Cassidy discussed how blasphemy laws violate international human rights law, which was more or less an update to a 2017 report on the topic. She also previewed a new report that we were about to release last December on blasphemy. The severity of a blasphemy law on the books, however, is only the beginning of the story. Uh, To appreciate the full impact of the criminalization of blasphemy on human rights, we must also understand how states enforce these laws. For this reason, uh, USERF released late last year a report entitled Violating Rights, Enforcing the World's Blasphemy Laws, which looks at the abuses that result from the enforcement of blasphemy laws. We also held a hearing on the topic that same month. Today, our guests are the authors of both our 2017 report and the most recent report on blasphemy. They were also witnesses at our hearing back then. Let me welcome uh, both Joelle Fiss and Jocelyn Getchen Kestenbaum to USERF Spotlight. Thank you for having us, Dwight. And a special thank you to the USERF commissioners uh, for highlighting this important issue. Great. Thanks again for being here. Joelle is a member of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe's panel of experts on freedom of religion or belief. And Jocelyn is Associate Professor of Clinical Law at Cardozo School of Law in New York. First, let me thank you both for your work on these groundbreaking reports. And I'll direct the, the first question to Jocelyn. To our knowledge, the most recent report is the most comprehensive and updated list of blasphemy laws in the world. Uh, tell us, where are these uh, their blasphemy laws and what trends did you find in the passage and repeal of these laws? Thanks. Well, first of all, I wanted to quickly define what we mean by blasphemy laws. So when we talk about blasphemy laws, we really mean legal provisions that are criminally sanctioning defamation of religion and seeking to punish individuals for allegedly offending, insulting, or denigrating religious doctrines, deities, symbols, or what we call, quote unquote, the sacred. And we found these criminal blasphemy laws in 84 countries across the globe in all regions of the world. And in recent years, there have been new or amended laws that have entered into force in Kazakhstan, Nepal, Oman, Mauritania, Morocco, and Brunei. And at the same time, we have seen also repeals that have happened in Iceland, Norway, one region of France, Malta, Denmark, Ireland, Canada, New Zealand, Greece, and Scotland. And I also did want to emphasize that for some of these criminal blasphemy laws, they do include the death penalty as punishment. And we did find the death penalty related to blasphemy in Mauritania, Brunei, Iran, and in Pakistan. So following on that first question, your response, uh, 
The report examined the enforcement of blasphemy laws in all 84 countries identified with criminal uh, blasphemy laws on the books. Uh, before we jump into the more detailed findings, what was the methodology for identifying incidents of enforcement of these laws? And how did you define uh, the laws and state enforcement as such? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because it is important to really determine the methodology in order to understand the findings. So when we spoke about cases of blasphemy in the report, what we were really looking at were the enforcement by the state of these criminal blasphemy laws. And so what do we mean by state enforcement of criminal blasphemy laws? We define that as any affirmative action that was initiated by government officials including but not limited to law enforcement officers. We, we often saw police officers, security agents, or prison officials enforcing these laws, or judicial authorities. So prosecutors or judges were also involved in blasphemy law enforcement. So those affirmative actions by those types of officials that were seeking to compel compliance with the criminal laws and sometimes regulations that were targeting blasphemous speech or blasphemous conduct. And the study looks at affirmative action as any reported act that are, is seen by these officials that could have resulted in criminal sanctions. And that's regardless or of whether it actually led to an investigation, arrest, prosecution, or punishment of the alleged blasphemer. So preliminary investigations that ended in dropped charges, those were also considered to be affirmative state acts. So the case of blasphemy law enforcement that we looked at, that corresponds to when government officials, those that we described, are directing their acts against an individual alleged to have engaged in blasphemous speech or conduct and may or may not include a state-led criminal legal action against a defendant in a court of law. So to assist you quickly to think about the types of cases, there were three main, what we said, buckets of cases that these enforcement actions fell into. So first, government officials acted to enforce one or more criminal blasphemy laws that were on the books in that country. The second uh, bucket were government officials that acted to enforce what is deemed to be what we defined as blasphemous speech or conduct, but they were using some other penal code provision that was not identified as a traditional blasphemy law. So in many of these countries, we also see other laws like telecommunications, press laws, anti-extremism laws, incitement to hatred laws, anti-conversion laws, et cetera, that are being used to enforce uh, against alleged blasphemers. So we were also looking at those cases. So when they were using maybe a different law, but the act, the underlying act that they were enforcing against was also deemed to be an act of blasphemy. And then the third bucket are the government officials or other state employees who are retaliating against an individual who's accused of engaging in blasphemous conduct through perpetrating illegal, extrajudicial punitive measures. So we did find in some cases, extrajudicial killings, enforced disappearances, and some acts of torture 
that happened at the hands of the state. So some state official acting against an alleged blasphemer. Very interesting. Let me turn now to Joelle. Uh, now that we have a better understanding of the process for the research, uh, can you now uh, hit on some what are the key findings uh, uh, from the report? And where, are, for instance, where are blasphemy laws most frequently enforced, whether it's through state enforcement or mob driven violence or otherwise? Sure. So we really found a treasure of findings. Um, we identified over 700 incidents uh, during the five years that we studied, in, and we identified those incidents in over 40 countries. And the very large majority of cases were the blas where really where the blasphemy laws themselves were enforced by state agents, as Jocelyn was mentioning, the law enforcement officers, the judicial authorities. Um, and so that was a very important finding. Uh, states are using the laws and using them at an alarming pace. And we also found that mob activity and violence and threats and sometimes even extreme cases of violence occurred in dozens of cases too. Now, one key finding was that over 80% of all of the cases that we collected occurred in only 10 countries, which means that the problem is very concentrated in some states and enforced by those authorities. And it also means, obviously, that you can do targeted advocacy there. And those countries are Pakistan, Iran, Russia, India, Egypt, Indonesia, Yemen, Bangladesh, Saudi Arabia, and Kuwait. So really, 80% of the cases that we found were in those countries. We also uh, saw regional patterns. Uh, the Asia Pacific and Middle East regions represented 84% of all the cases in the world, which is an overwhelming majority. And finally, when it comes to violence, mob activity, threats, um, we found that nearly 80% of all those incidents that we traced down occurred in only four countries, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nigeria, and Egypt. So it's really possible to, you know, do targeted advocacy there and try and better understand what is going on in those countries. You, you highlighted a number of uh, countries that could, you know, could be considered bad actors as far as religious freedom, certainly. And um, in your research, you obviously compiled information about the victims of these laws as well. And I think it's important for us to understand you know, who, who these victims are, uh, as they're just people who in many cases had their lives completely destroyed by the enforcement of a blasphemy law. Can you share with us... Uh, who you found these laws are being used primarily against, and were you surprised uh, by any of the findings uh, in certain countries? Yeah, absolutely. So we really wanted to get down to understanding better who these victims are. We wanted to know, for example, what is their religion? Uh, what is the religion of the accused of blasphemy? And uh, this was quite a surprising finding. Uh, we found that Muslims accounted for half of the persons arrested, in fact, over half of the persons arrested and prosecuted or punished uh, for their alleged blasphemy crimes. And uh, that was a very important finding out of all of those groups that we managed to identify, uh, Muslims accounted for over half of them. And this shows that the large majority of victims are Muslims themselves. And, you know, fighting 
Allegations of blasphemy is not part of an anti-Islam agenda to criticize blasphemy laws. Many politicians do claim this in their countries. Um, it is often seen as being a Western-driven agenda, and it's not the case. In fact, fighting these laws help to protect Muslims themselves wherever they are. Other groups that are frequently targeted include Christians, atheists, Baha'i, and Hindu. And then we looked at another criteria. We wanted to know what are the jobs? What are their activities, their, their general professional activities? Are they targeted for their professional activities? And we did notice that they are very varied. Uh, of course, you, you do remember the famous case of Azia Bibi, who was a farmer in Pakistan. Um, there are many different variety of professional positions. But, however, we did notice some patterns, and we noticed that the most commonly reported professions of the accused were lawyers, academics, religious figures, media, artists, government officials, and human rights activists. And so these are often professions that have uh, large visibility, and uh, among which many of these can also be political dis dissidents in their own right. Um, you know, they can be artists or bloggers or intellectuals, but also speak out uh, on the local politics. And so that was an important pattern that we discovered as well. Well, very interesting again there. Um, you know, with this final series of questions, I want to, if you both could, could weigh in here, because the report found that more than a quarter of reported blasphemy cases involved alleged blasphemous speech posted on social media platforms in particular. Can you speak more on the dynamics uh, between social media and blasphemy and what role uh, does social media play in strengthening calls for violence and discrimination uh, against alleged blasphemers? Why don't we start with uh, Jocelyn, if we could. Sure. I'm glad you asked th this question because social media platforms are widely accessible. They are communications mechanisms that many, almost all people around the globe are using, and it facilitates the dissemination and the receipt of information across the globe. And what these social platforms also do is blur the distinctions between the public and the private spheres as we've never seen. And what people are doing in their homes may seem to them at the time as private conduct, but social media can bring these activities, these uh, you know, words, speech, acts quickly to the public sphere. And it also does have this sense of permanence that before speech may not have had such a type of permanence. So social media increases the possibility that an individual might have access to a blasphemous image to share, providing a platform for individuals to engage in that kind of conduct and that conduct that to others may be deemed blasphemous. And because social media users can like or share or save images, then one blasphemous act on social media can quickly multiply and implicate a host of people who engage with these various posts. And at the same time, we have state authorities who can now, and even sometimes actually private actors who are interested, like clergy, for example, who can monitor conduct uh, and monitor others online. They have the ability to identify, investigate, or otherwise enforce against blasphemous conduct 
on these social media platforms. So social media platforms have a whole host of, of uh, problematic uh, new uh, understandings now that we are in this world of, of blasphemy laws and social media. Uh, in fact, when we're talking about uh, violent organizing and mob violence, we see that social media can also be used to organize, incite, and even threaten mob violence against alleged blasphemers. Interesting. Joelle, uh, any, any thoughts from you? Yeah, absolutely. So we found that over a quarter of reported cases that implicated alleged blasphemous speech were posted on social media platforms. So this is a growing problem. And uh, out of the social media, we found out that Facebook is the largest implicated. In fact, in 47% of all the cases we collected, followed by Twitter. And as you know, as was said, you can be persecuted for merely liking or sharing a post. This is a rising uh, problem. I think that it would be important to discuss this with social media platforms because unfortunately they are the enablers of uh, these uh, persecutions. So it really is problematic and states are increasing their surveillance. And of course, you know, the users on the net, they have this illusion of freedom that they are in front of their screens and that they can are free to comment whatever they want in the safety of their own homes. And that is not the case. And you know, social media also is an instrument to call um, upon violent crowds uh, to attack the alleged blasphemer um, in, in, you know, in the security of his or her home. And we have seen that some, in some circumstances, there were riots that came out of a computer where people were just calling on social media to intimidate uh, the alleged blasphemer. Finally, there are some countries that enforce cases related to social media more importantly than others. So for example, the countries where you have the most enforcement related to social media in Russia, surprisingly, that's the, the number one country, where, which means that you know the Russian government are surveying social media uh, uh, very extensively in, in this uh, context. The second country is Iran, then Egypt, India, Pakistan. And you also have notable cases in, coming from Indonesia, Bangladesh, and Saudi Arabia. So, you know, this is important information. Once again, it can provide targeted advocacy. It can also provide a way to hold the conversation and to carry the conversation uh, to the social media companies that must not become enablers of this form of uh, persecution. Well, it sounds to me as if from both your responses there on the social media piece, there's a whole nother <laughs> report to explore uh, a lot there, but we'll have to leave it right here. Uh, I want to thank uh, Jocelyn and Joelle for sharing their uh, deep expertise and insights on enforcement of blasphemy laws. You can find the report that they co-authored on our website at www.uscirf.gov. You can also find some of our policy recommendations related to these laws uh, on our website. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on USERF Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USURF Spotlight. <laughs>